0: Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for another Sabbath day. And even though it's cold, frigid cold and snowy, it's a beautiful day. We thank you for the beauty of winter. And we just pray for continued safety throughout the weather conditions. As we come before you this morning to study your word, Lord, we ask for your blessing, for your input. We're here to listen to what you have to say. And may we all be more enlightened, inspired, enlightened, and equipped today, of having come together for this Sabbath. We pray, in Jesus' name, Amen. the uh, The topic of my study this morning is called "Yet Without Sin," and I I came up with that topic, of course. I mean, it's right out of Hebrews chapter four, which was a very pivotal, pivotal text in my conversion. Uh, 30 years ago now, I was baptized, what is today? The fifth? I was baptized February 7, 1992, so two more days, I'll be 30 years old. I know I don't look 30, but I was born again and I'm 30 in two days. But <clears throat> a couple of texts that were very pivotal, First Corinthians um, 6, 9 to 11, and 2 Corinthians 517, and also Hebrews chapter four, then chapter two, then chapter 12. And we'll look at some of that this morning. But if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter one, <clears throat> we're going to look at some texts of scripture that, that even though I graduated from Southern Missionary College at the time, now Southern Adventist University, with a degree in theology and even with honors, I did not understand the plan of salvation for myself. I turned down a call to ministry. I did not have resolution to my own issues and confusion, having been sexually molested when I was four and derailed and growing up with uncontrollable thoughts, imaginations, fantasies, and I never could find resolution to that. And even with that degree in theology, I did not have the understanding that I came to years later when I was studying my way out of the gay community. And let me just say right up front, I didn't go to therapy. I did not go to counseling. I went to the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. Some of you heard last night, I started reading Steps to Christ with a margarita in one hand and a cigarette in the other. That's what I had to do to relax enough to even sit and read it all. And I talked to the Lord about it and said, these these are not the issues. You show me the answers to the big issues. Then we'll come back to the margaritas and the cigarettes. And I just picture the Lord saying, "Okay, we'll do that. But just be prepared. (laughs) Because in chapter five, I was snuffing out the cigarette and saying I shouldn't be doing this. So um, I, I like to say that the answer to the LGBT issue is the same answer that is to any sin issue. And it's in the Seventh-day Adventist message. Do you remember when Jesus said salvation is of the Jews? Do you remember he was telling the woman of Samaria, I think, at the well that salvation is of the Jews? And I can imagine her thinking, huh, how cocky is that? You know, you Jews are just really way too proud. Salvation is of the Jews. But it was the jewish church that had him crucified and and he knew that was coming <clears throat> and yet he said salvation is of the jews what did he mean by that he meant that the way to salvation is through the message that has been given to the jewish people the sanctuary and the gospel was there the jews were the what depositories or repositories of the truth now they went ahead and crucified their messiah but the truth was still in their midst and the early church was comprised of jews who accepted that truth accepted that messiah and went forward labeled with a derogatory term called christians (laughs) well I like to say that salvation today is of the Seventh-day Adventists and I'm not being cocky and and proud when I say that. It's because Seventh-day Adventists use the biblical definition of sin as a transgression of the law and we accept the law. How can you, how can you in consistency help an LGBT person or anyone else overcome their issue without first Convincing them this is a sin issue. And once you understand it is a sin issue, then you apply God's remedy for sin. And friends, it works. I walked away from the gay culture from studying sin and the remedy to sin without going through all of the other counseling and therapies that that were recommended and 12-step programs that I was recommended to attend and all of that. But I want to share with you to open this morning some of the things that that I discovered in my study when I was still in the gay culture. I mean, I was studying for my very survival because I was on a downward spiral to destruction. Romans 1 verse 3. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. Um... Who knows how many times I had read that, you know, reading the Bible through, through childhood and youth and so forth, but it never really clicked. When <clears throat> according, made of the seed of David, according to the flesh. When I left the church, I had the opinion that Jesus was really unfair. That he would say, be ye therefore perfect, even as your father which is in heaven is perfect. And I said, but he's God and you're God. It's easy for you to say, I'm only human. How many of you have ever been guilty? Do not raise your hands. This is a thought question of excusing something by saying, hey, I'm only human. Right? I'm only human. Think about that. Should a Christian ever say, I'm only human? human. I want you to think about that as we go forward. Romans 8 verses 3 and 4. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. When I read that again, the son of god was in the likeness of sinful flesh does that make him a sinner no but it made him subject to temptation and um and having to battle probably tendencies that he inherited through you know we have the lineage of jesus two places in the new testament and they uh It's there for a reason, and you look at some of the despicable characters that were in the line of seed all the way to Jesus. And oh my, Um, if he was born in the likeness of sinful flesh, what must he have had to deal with? Galatians 4 verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. Well, what in the world does that mean? Well, the next phrase kind of clarifies that. To redeem them that were under the law. In other words, like us. We were born um, with a fallen, sinful human nature. And these texts are telling me that, you know, Jesus understands that. Um, And we'll look at some other passages here that... You know, you put these all together, and I started formulating a different picture of my savior. And as a gay person, it did not push me away. I was captivated by the concept that Jesus could really relate to me, that, that he understands the power of temptation, the forces of temptation, yet without sin, Now I jumped ahead to Hebrews four. Well, let's look at Hebrews four right now. Oh no, Hebrews two. And this is why I think the writer of Hebrews uh, was was underscoring, you know, he he was highlighting with words rather than with a yellow highlighter. For as much, that's a powerful word, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, who are the children? That's us. He also himself likewise <laughs> took part of the same. Do you think the writer was trying to make a point with all of those highlighting words? He also himself likewise took part of the same for as much. That through death. Well, then it goes. I'm going to jump down a little bit uh, farther into the context. Hebrews two fourteen through 18 Uh, farther down in the context, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Now for verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. How far removed was Abraham from Adam? You wonder why he he doesn't say he took on him the seed of Adam, but it says seed of Abraham. And then how far removed from Abraham was Jesus? Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor or give assistance or aid to them that are tempted." When I read that in my study looking, I mean, I was just starved for spiritual food and I just soaked up the word like a sponge. And when I read that Jesus suffered being tempted, that really impacted me. In other words, he struggled. Now, anyone that's ever worked out in a gym, you know, if you've done your exercises or, you know, whatever kind of exercises you've done, you know you have to work up to a point where you really struggle in order for it to have any effect, right? You know, as a young person working out in the gym, I remember doing bench presses and and I'd have a buddy there that would be, you know, we'd kind of team up and and I'm pressing and I get to where I'm ready to quit. And as I'm about to quit, he says, no, no, one more. I said, okay, one more. I'm going to do one more. No, one more. And he kept saying one more until I wanted to punch him, but I had my hands full, you know? And finally at the end he said, come on, you can do one more. And as I'm pushing and pushing and I just can't quite make it, he reaches over and touches the barbell. And just when he put his hand on it, it went the rest of the way. Now, was he he doing my struggle? No. But he understood my struggle, and he was there to coach and to encourage. But I remember struggling to, to get stronger. And when I read this, that Jesus suffered being tempted, it tells me that, that in suffering temptation or struggling, when you're struggling, you gain strength. Struggle makes you strong. If you are not suffering being tempted, then are you like Christ? A Christian is someone who lives the life of Christ. If he suffered being tempted, so will you. And if you're not suffering with temptation or struggling with something, maybe you need to reevaluate. Maybe you're giving in. Maybe you've already given up, but Hebrews 12 says, Jesus resisted unto blood, striving against sin. In other words, till the last breath on the cross, Jesus could have broken, he could have sinned, and he struggled until his last breath. Have you ever read of anyone else that's done that? Think of the millions of martyrs through the ages That have resisted unto blood. Striving against denying their Lord. Maybe they didn't have all the light that we have today. But even today in countries like Afghanistan. Little children are being martyred. In front of their parents. For not denying Jesus. They don't have the message necessarily that we have. But they know enough about Jesus. And their parents have to stand there and watch and say be faithful. Be faithful so christians there are christians throughout the millennia that that have also resisted the struggle and suffered with temptation and resisted unto blood so god is asking us to follow that example now i want to read from manuscript 80 1903 christ assumed our fallen nature and was subject to every temptation to which man is subject did you get that? That is powerful. I remember shortly after I became a Seventh-day Adventist, I came up to Berrien Springs. They were having an 1888 conference uh, convention there or something, and, and I heard, heard something about this 1888 message. So I came up to just check it out, see what was going on. There was a professor there from the university, from the seminary, that had dated a girl that I grew up with. And so we got to chatting and then he invited me to his office that night for another chat. And we started talking about the nature of Christ. And as he was telling me his view, in my mind, I'm shaking my head and said, oh, I left the church believing that because Jesus was just way beyond anything I could relate to. And I told him, I said, you know, brother so-and-so, if you had come to me with this understanding where I was just a few years ago, I would never have accepted Jesus. He says, what, what, why not? I said, because, and I told him where I came from, that I came from the gay culture. And then I quoted Hebrews 4, that Jesus was tempted in all points like as me, yet without sin. And he drew back in disgust. You don't mean to think Jesus was tempted like that, do you? That's disgusting. I said, listen, I'm not going to try to imagine every temptation, but don't take that text away from me. He's my savior too. And he suffered whatever, whatever it was, he can relate to what I struggled with. And he suffered with it yet without sin. And I said, besides... How do you think he was tempted like you? Maybe I find that disgusting. (laughs) We were friends by the end of the evening. He said, Ron, you know, our church needs an exhibit A. We don't have anyone like you, uh, any material about that kind of life and whatever. I said, I'm not gonna be anybody's exhibit. Within the year, I was approached by someone from the review to write my story, to publish my story in a book and I became exhibit A. And I don't mind being exhibit A, what about you? Are you in the theater of grace? Are you actors on the stage of the theater of grace demonstrating to the world, to angels, to the universe, the power of Jesus to save you from sin? We all should be exhibits, right? But here, these are quotes that backed up what I was learning from scripture. Christ assumed our fallen nature and was subject to Every temptation to which man is subject. Now, does that mean necessarily gay temptation or does it mean lust? It's the same thing. A gay person is dealing with lust, just like a heterosexual person is dealing with lust, just towards different people. But lust is lust, right? It's the same sin. And when you in my that first book I wrote, I listed all the abominations in the Bible and homosexual. Homosexuality was one of them, but there's a whole list. And at the bottom of the list, I came across the word adultery as abomination. So you can be an abominable heterosexual as well as an abominable homosexual. Well, I'm not going to say the person is abominable. It's the the behavior that Jesus hates. These were eye-opening things to me and if you heard my story last night how i was studying i finally was reading that bible that my from my left behind series my parents kept leaving things behind when they would visit and my bible was one of those study bibles it had all of the what 7a commentary ellen white comments on the scripture and a lot of what i'm sharing with you was right there in that bible and i was thrilled i was addicted i was in bondage i was in a gay relationship that was supposed to last forever And yet I was reading the word of God and I was thrilled. I was drawing closer and closer to him, understanding this principle. Though Christ had no taint of sin upon his character, yet he condescended to connect our fallen human nature with his divinity. You see, this is why I'm saying, don't ever say I'm only human. If you're a Christian, you are to be connected with divinity. By thus taking humanity, he honored humanity, having taken our fallen nature, he showed what it might become by accepting the ample provision he has made for it and by becoming partaker of the divine nature. Do you see this, this equalizing uh, equation here, I guess Jesus in his divinity took upon fallen humanity and then he says in your fallen humanity, you can take on divinity. And then you can battle and suffer with temptation and be victorious, just like Jesus was. I mean, that's the, as I read this, this is what I'm coming to. Wow, I will never say I'm only human again. I am human and a partaker of divinity. 2 Peter 1 verse 4, how do we become partakers of divinity? whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Isn't that a beautiful text of scripture? It tells us right there how we can be like Christ. I have an article, well, a chapter in, I guess my second book, it's called A Rainbow of Promises. And you know, I'm still working on that that article. Because it's now working into a book called Reclaiming the Rainbow. (laughs) A rainbow of promises, and it's just promise after promise after promise. You cannot help but be moved and changed as you read those promises prayerfully and with with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We become partakers. You know, we are what we eat, right? And in computer language, garbage in, garbage out but wholesome spiritual food in and wholesome character develops by the, uh, through the exceeding great and precious promises of God. So Hebrews 4 is the one that says, you know, we, Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. And that's, that's where I got the, the title of this study, yet without sin. And then it goes on to say, let us therefore... Come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It says, you know, this, this is, uh, Jesus was tempted. He had grace. And, and you can have the same thing. And I looked up grace in the Greek dictionary. And one of the, well, the definitions, you know how words have maybe multiple definitions. The definition that jumped out at me From the Greek dictionary, Greek being a pagan language. I guess all language may be considered pagan. (laughs) But anyway, uh, the pagans were very idolatrous and all of that. But in the Greek language, the word grace is defined as the divine influence working upon the heart and then reflecting in the life. Isn't that beautiful? Grace is divine, omnipotent, transforming power. And this text says, come boldly under the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. I think of the story of the the man who was um, back in the days of Abraham Lincoln. This father was trying to get to see the president in the White House. And I don't know the. I can't tell a story like the original. But he was denied entrance and he was begging, please, I must see the president. My son has been accused of desertion or something in the military and he's due to be executed tomorrow. Please, I must see the president. And no, he could not gain entrance. And he, he found himself out under a tree there near the White House. Things are a little different today than back then, I guess. And he was weeping. And then suddenly he felt this tap on his shoulder and, He looked up and this little boy is saying, Mr, why are you crying? And the, the father told the little boy what he was dealing with and he just really needed to see the president. And the little boy said, I can take you to see the president. Really? Yes. And he grabbed him by the hand and said, come on, I'll take you to see the president. Got to the same front door where the security was and they just let him walk right on in. Little boy led him up into, I guess, the Oval Office or wherever Lincoln was. And said, Daddy, this man needs to talk to you. (laughs) Have you ever heard this story? Uh, I'm just throwing out the details that I remember. And the man poured out his heart to the president. And and the president um, absolved the young man. And his life was spared. That little boy went boldly to the throne of grace, didn't he? With this man and and I think about every time I read this text I think about how father is saying Don't even knock just come in Come boldly to my desk my throne And there you will find mercy And that's something I pray for all the time (laughs) I think about the the publican praying Lord have God have mercy to me a sinner And um, But it's interesting that the text says you may obtain mercy, and then it says you'll find grace. Isn't that beautiful? In Our High Calling, we read, Christ's overcoming and obedience is that of a true human being, In our conclusions, we make many mistakes because of our erroneous views of the human nature of our Lord. When we give to his human nature a power that it is not possible for man to have in his conflicts with Satan, we destroy the completeness of his humanity. And that's exactly what I was doing when I graduated with my degree in theology. I was destroying, in my mind, the completeness of his humanity. I did not understand this. I praise God for the gift of prophecy, the gift of the spirit of prophecy to this denomination. It, it has been such a blessing to me in my journey, just opening up my mind and understanding so powerfully and giving me the confidence that I needed to turn and walk away from my gay life. I, it was a very big struggle for me. I was almost killed in the process as the fellow turned on me with the vengeance of seven demons and and uh, and just pummeled me, and I always thought normally I could have taken him, but not if he's demon possessed, you know. Um, but but I never looked back because this message just just gripped me with hope, with courage, and strengthened me that the passage our high calling page 48 goes on to say his imputed grace and power he gives to all who receive him by faith and i thought that must include me yep when that fellow came to me after listening to gossip about pastor ron and he comes to me the gossipy was listening to the gossiper Then the gossipy came to me and said pastor ron Man, if God can save you, he can save anybody. And I said, at first I was taken aback. And I said, why would you say that? And he told me what he had heard. And I said, oh, that, well, uh, it's true. God can save anybody, even you. (laughs) And then he asked if I would baptize him. You know, I'm just thrilled at what the Lord has given us as a people to open our understanding that we may truly be the light to the world. And that we may be faithful actors on the stage of the theater of his grace. Again in our our High Calling 48. The obedience of Christ to his father was the same obedience that is required of man. Have we done that? We failed haven't we? That's the requirement is perfect obedience. Man cannot overcome Satan's temptations without divine power to combine with his instrumentality. There again, humanity and divinity combined. So with Jesus Christ, he could lay hold of divine power. Jesus did not use his divinity for himself. He spent whole nights in prayer asking for divine power. Otherwise, he would not have been our example, right? because we're not born with divine nature. We don't have it naturally. I can't call on my divinity to save me from from yielding to temptation. I have to do what Jesus did and go to the throne of grace, just like Jesus did. He came not to our world to give the obedience of a lesser God to a greater, but as a man to obey God's holy law. And in this way, he is our example. The Lord Jesus came to our world not to reveal what a God could do, but what a man could do through faith in God's power to help in every emergency. Man is, through faith, to be a partaker in the divine nature and to overcome every temptation wherewith he is beset. Does that discourage you or encourage you? I was so in bondage to sin but when i read these things i just saw a brilliant light at the end of my tunnel and said that's where i'm going step by step and again on the same page the lord now demands that every son and daughter of adam does that include you (laughs) yeah through faith in jesus christ serve him in human nature which we now have The Lord Jesus has bridged the gulf that sin has made. He has connected earth with heaven and finite man with the infinite God. Jesus, the world's redeemer, could only keep the commandments of God in the same way that humanity can keep them. I don't know whether that inspires you, but when I realized Jesus was a commandment keeper... And I can be the same following his example. And whatever he did, I'm encouraged to do the same. So we're going to look at that. But let me read one more little uh, sentence here on uh, that same page. We are not to serve God as if we were not human, but we are to serve him in the nature we have that has been redeemed by the son of God. See, Jesus has redeemed our fallen nature. He has paid the price for our fall. We now have a nature that has been paid for, that can be redirected and come in harmony with the law of God. Through the righteousness of Christ, we shall stand before God, pardoned because our fallen nature was paid for, redeemed. And as though we had never sinned, that is very hard for me to wrap my head around, but I accept it. Otherwise, I couldn't be in the pulpit today. If I was still carrying the burden of my wickedness, my degradation, my self-destruction, all those years in the, in the world, I could never stand up before an audience. But I stand before you as though I had never sinned. I'm not saying I never sinned. You see the difference? God is looking at me covered in the righteousness of Christ as though I had never sinned. But while he has me covered, boy, he's working and I give him a hard time. But he's working on the inside to give me, to actually recreate in me the same righteousness that he's attributing to me anyway. It's like. I have the diploma before I've even taken the first class. I just think that's marvelous. As though we had never sinned. The humanity of the Son of God is everything to us. It is the golden chain that binds our souls to Christ and through Christ to God. Now, Sabbath school goes to what, 1030? Is that the time? I have 15 minutes. So in 15 minutes, I'm going to try to show... How it was possible Jesus was tempted in all points like as me, yet without sin. How is that possible? How could Jesus possibly be tempted in every way like me, yet without sin? We read in Luke 19, verse 10, that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. In other words, when he left heaven to come to this earth, it was because he loved me. He loves you too. I have to make things personal. He loved you. He loves you and he loves me. And when he left heaven, it was because of love for me and love for you. And then I understand his love for me was greater than his love for self and love for sin and temptation. Would you agree? If Jesus was willing to die for me, who did he love more? Can you grapple? Can you under relate to that? It's just, these are just mind exploding concepts that his love for me was greater than his love for himself, his love for temptation and sin. And by the way, temptation only works for someone who is self focused. That's why the secret to overcoming sin, we're told, is helping others to overcome sin. Because when you're helping others to overcome, you're focused outward. Temptation does not work unless you're thinking about me, yourself. Jesus never did that. That was one of his secrets. He stayed focused upon me. He stayed focused on you. And his love for you was greater. So he couldn't be distracted by temptation in a way. Or he would not be distracted. The power of Jesus' love for me far exceeded the power of Satan to tempt him. In 1 John 4, verse 4, we read, For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Jesus' love for me was so great that he could not be distracted by temptation to sin. Remember, he kept saying, get thee behind me. Satan comes attempting, well, get away from me. I'm going, I'm focused. Get thee behind me, Satan. It is written. What was he doing? He was accessing the exceeding great and precious promises of God by which we become partakers of divine nature. He did the same thing. He incorporated the promises of God and then he you know, submitted himself to God daily, and then he resisted the devil, get the behind me. And then he went joyfully on his way, seeking to save you and me. In Hebrews 12, verse 2 We read, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Do you see here that Jesus was laser focused on the joy that would come as uh, the result and reward of his selfless life of love for you and me? he stayed focused what was that joy the joy of being with me the joy of being with you the joy of being with those he loves for all eternity no greater love than this is there than this john 15 13 greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends so i did a little equation a little Algebraic equation But it's kind of like A spiritual Algebraic equation God is love Also We understand that God is love God is also Omnipotent So his perfect love Exceeds The supernatural powers Of Satan Temptation And sin We are in a Fallen Human Nature Battling against Supernatural fallen nature is there a match no we're we're no match for that but god is love and that love is omnipotent and the supernatural is no match for the omnipotent all-powerful supernatural is not all-powerful you know that right supernatural means greater than i am all-powerful means greater than the supernatural and i put that into perspective that If God is love and God is omnipotent, then his perfect love exceeds all of the supernatural efforts and powers of Satan. Temptation to sin greater. The greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So in other words, the power of love exceeds the power of hate. Think about that. We're living in a world filled with hatred. But who wins in the end? those who love. The power of love exceeds the power of hate. So understanding this, how am I to overcome sin? Revelation 321 in the letter to Laodicea, Jesus says to him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame. That's the second title to this study even as I also overcame. I didn't know which one to use. And I'm sat down with my father in his throne. So Jesus is saying, you are to overcome even as I overcame. In other words, the same way. You apply the same methodology to your life experience and your temptations that I did, and you too can be an overcomer. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, let this mind be in you. That was, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then it talks about how he, you know, he was equal with God, but he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We need to have that same mindset. If we stay focused on God first, and I'm going to talk about this in the sermon this morning, and then others ahead of ourselves, then we too can be victorious um, against sin. In other words, if my love, for Jesus exceeds the love of self and the love of sin, then I too can be an overcomer. Isn't that the method Jesus used? He focused on you, he focused on me. Now, if I will do the same in reverse, I can have the same outcome. So if my love for Jesus will exceed the love of self, then can't I too say, get thee behind me, Satan? I'm focused. Don't distract me with that. Not interested. Nice try. Not interested. When my focus is no longer on self first, then does not temptation lose its power? I found that to be an eye-opening concept. Temptation loses its power when I'm not focused on self. And I spent my life in the world seeking self-gratification, self-exaltation, self-advancement, self-glory. I loved the limelight, you know, in, in my dancing and all of that. I, I found myself, you know, I, I found accolades. I found, you know, self-glory and people looking to me, you know, in, in that way. And that's why I don't dance anymore. Sometimes I'll grab my wife and spin her around the kitchen, but she can't dance. (laughs) My children think it's funny, but um, anyway. When my focus is no longer on self, then temptation loses its power. By beholding Jesus, I will be changed into his image with his love for God supremely and others ahead of myself. Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. So where I'm asked to love God supremely and my neighbors, myself, isn't that a biblical principle? These are the laws of God. We'll talk about in the next service. Jesus loved me more than eternal life for himself. That's a real big concept to kind of get to grapple with. But his love for his father was first and his love for me kept him from yielding to temptation. So Jesus had this laser-like focus upon whom he sought to save. He came here on a mission and he would not be distracted. No matter what Satan did, I, I just think of it this way. No matter what Satan did, Jesus kept looking down through the ages at Ron Woolsey and said, no, no, no. I'm gonna redeem this one for me. He's going to be a peculiar treasure for all eternity. Get behind me. Don't try to distract me. I am going for Ron. And that really encourages me that he was laser focused on me. So my laser like focus must be upon Jesus, my savior from sin so that I can do the same thing for the joy that is set before me. What is that? Being with Christ for all eternity, it's the same thing. Jesus endured all of that for the joy that was set before him, for the joy of being with you and for me, with me for all eternity. And I can say the same thing, for the joy that was set before me, I will endure, I will resist, I will dismiss Satan and his temptations. And with that kind of focus, temptation should lose its power. Wouldn't you agree? For I'm not focused upon self, but I'm focused upon Christ. I'm not focused upon self-satisfaction, but Christ's favor. Not upon self-esteem, but Christ's reputation. Not upon self-advancement, but the advancement of Christ's cause. Not upon self-gratification, but upon Christ's good pleasure. Remember Philippians 2.13, It is God who works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. So rather than focusing upon my self-gratification, Lord, help me focus upon your good pleasure, not upon self-glorification, but the glory of Christ in and through myself. Revelation 12, verses 10 and 11. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down which accused them before our god day and night and they overcame him this is one of our very favorite texts in our ministry they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and so we share our testimonies wherever we go why it's positive reinforcement when i wrote my first book i was asked to use a pen name for my protection it was actually an outside publisher that published the book and I said, P- what protection? Why do I need protection? Oh, well, we had another author, a pastor, write, write a book on the LGBT issue. And the community f- tracked him down and burned his house to the ground. You know, they can be very, very vicious. Uh, there's that element there. And we want you to be protected. So they encouraged me to use a pen name. <laughs> so I came up with a pen name. Victor J. Adamson. And you think about that. It took me longer to come up with a name than to write the book, and that's a fact. Because, oh, I went through dozens of of names that I considered. I thought, no, I want the name itself to have a message. And then they contracted me to be on uh, radio talk shows for three years all around the country uh, to help promote the book. And everywhere I went and every time I was on the phone on one of these talk shows or in the studio, it was always, Victor, 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 what about this? Tell us about this, Victor, Victor, Victor. Positive reinforcement, right? Positive reinforcement. Um, So they overcame by the blood of lamb and the word of their testimony. So whenever we give our testimonies, We hope that you're inspired. We hope that you are enlightened and equipped, but also it's more blessed to give than to receive. And every time I share my testimony, I go away going, wow, Jesus really loves me. It empowers me as well. So uh, that is a very special text. Again, the secret to overcoming sin, we become overcomers by helping others to overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. The keeping of the commandments of God will yield in us an obedience, spirit, and the service that is the offspring of such a spirit God can accept. I close this presentation with excerpts from the story in Gethsemane, in Desire of Ages, the chapter in Gethsemane. And... I don't have time to do that, but I do want to go to the last part of that, that excerpt where Jesus had the third time he was praying in agony. Uh, He was being tempted above anything we could even imagine. So let me close with this because it helps us understand Christ's focus and maybe can encourage you to focus on him as much as possible in the same way. the fate of humanity trembled in the balance Christ might even now refuse to drink the cup apportioned to guilty man it was not yet too late he might wipe the bloody sweat from his brow and leave man to perish in his iniquity he might say let the transgressor receive the penalty of his sin and I will go back to my father will the son of God drink the bitter cup of humiliation and agony will the innocent suffer for the consequences of the curse of sin to save the guilty. This is all, Satan was there personally to badger Jesus with all of these thoughts. The words fell tremblingly from the pale lips of Jesus. Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. The woes and lamentations of a doomed world rise before him. He beholds its impending fate and his decision is made. He will save man at any cost to himself. He accepts his baptism of blood. That through him perishing millions may gain everlasting life. He has left the courts of heaven where all is purity, happiness, and glory to save the one lost sheep. I like to think that that was me. But no, it was the one world that has fallen. He came to redeem the entire world. His blood was sufficient for every human being that has ever lived. They may not accept it. But the price was paid he redeemed the world but a lot of the world refuses to leave the captor they fall in love with their captor and they choose to stay with the captor rather than with their redeemer the one world that has fallen by transgression he will not turn from his mission see that laser focus He will become the propitiation of a race that has willed to sin. His prayer now breathes only submission. If this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it. Who first? The Father. Your will be done. And the world ahead of me. And I will drink this bitter cup. Education page 263. Few give thought to the suffering That sin has caused our creator. And this is a powerful little quote to end on. So listen carefully. All heaven suffered in Christ's agony, but that suffering did not begin or end with his manifestation in humanity. The cross is a revelation to our dull senses of the pain that from its very inception, sin has brought to the heart of God. The suffering that Jesus endured on the cross was just a window in time of the intense suffering that God has been enduring from the inception of sin. And then he simply says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, as we contemplate the life of Christ in the last day of Christ, and we've been told that we would do well to contemplate the life of Jesus, spend a thoughtful hour every day contemplating the life of Jesus, especially the closing scenes. And every time I look at this, I am stirred, I am moved beyond, uh, beyond explanation that you would love me enough to give your son to go through what he did that i might be with you for eternity lord help me to love you that way in return and all of us the same in jesus name i pray amen